0: Thursday, January 19th, 2012. Uh, the Heresy Olympics are going to be winding down, finally.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, Stephen Burke was telling people, yeah, they're suffering from a Holy Ghost hangover. Well, that's only if the Holy Ghost is into narcissistic Jesus uh, false doctrine, and Stuff like that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and it's all needless because well god's word well, it's pretty clear, but the problem is is that uh, you can read it wrong, and uh, what I mean by that is if you're reading yourself into it, you're reading it wrong and you're not actually getting out of the Bible what God the Holy Spirit intended for you to understand. You're not in there now, technically, you could say you're part of the uh you're, you play the role uh, a part in the mass of humanity that is sinful by nature and at war with God. Um, but uh, in in which case your name doesn't appear in scripture, you're just part of the mass problem. You're part of the plague. Um, Jesus Christ is the solution. The Bible's about Him. It's not about you. Uh, it's about what He's done for all of us, and his, it's His story that needs to be told, not yours, not mine, not your churches, or anybody else's like that. And so, uh, when when you read yourself into the biblical text, you're like missing the whole point. I mean it. Yeah, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's, uh, it it's like reading a, a cookbook, you know, wrongly, and ending up, you know, you 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 want to set out to, you know, make some spinach souffle or something like that, and you end up making um, lima beans. It, it just doesn't work that way. You gotta you gotta read it the way it's supposed to be read, and and the problem is that you ain't reading it right. If you're reading yourself into it or you see it as some kind of a recipe book for all the things you've got to be doing in order to achieve God's dream for your life or things like that. Anyway, I think you get the point. We kind of beat that drum a lot here at Fighting for the Faith. And the reason why we're doing it is is because what what I've seen happening in the uh, in the church uh, over the past 10 12 years is a growing epidemic of what we refer to here as or narcissistic eisegesis. that's the concept. And so, you know, I I'm, I'm thinking about uh, giving honorary PhDs to some of these folks that have appeared at the um, at the Code Orange Revival and give them a, an honorary PhD from Pirate Christian Radio University. The uh, PhD in narcissistical studies. I mean, th- this is unbelievable. The stuff that we're seeing, and the the story gets w- crazier and crazier. Tonight, okay, um, we broadcast at uh, six p.m. Eastern. Well, Code Orange starts broadcasting at six twelve p.m. Eastern, and so you know we're always uh, a day behind in in how we do our. Uh, recap of what's going on over there at the uh, the Heresy Olympics, and, and so, but tonight I got to tell you I am so looking forward to tonight's uh, Code Orange revival speaker. It's Kevin Gerald. Um, we've reviewed a few things here. I, this is the guy I refer to as the cheap uh, knockoff of uh, of Joel Osteen. It, apparently, they couldn't get Joel Osteen at the co- to you know to come to the Code Orange revival. So what do you do in a situation like that? You get a Joel Osteen impersonator. and That's who Kevin Gerald is. i got to tell you, I will be sitting in front of the Pirate Christian Radio production computer with my fuzzy bunny slippers on, and I am even considering twit-picking it. And <laughs> I will be there with my fuzzy bunny slippers on with a bowl of popcorn, possibly an adult beverage. I don't know if the two go together, but... I am fully expecting that you will not be able to write comedy like that. I am so looking forward to watching the Joel Osteen knockoff uh cheap at that. I mean, have you ever gotten those emails where uh you know somebody is offering to sell you um you know, <laughs> Authentic knockoff Rolexes, you know, for only $100. You know, (laughs) have you ever seen an email like this? You know, you know, you too can own a Rolex. And it's like, really? I can't. A Rolex? Wow. I mean, I can't wait to impress my friends with my extravagant expending on myself. I mean, after all, I mean... When it comes to men, I mean, let's put it this way: there's not a lot of accessories that guys can go with nowadays, and some of them are using. You know, they're they're going with the idea of tattoos and piercings and things like that. But if, if if you're thinking, you know, listen. I don't like the idea of a piercing. It's just, you know, I'm allergic to pain, the idea of a needle, and then you're possibly getting infected. Have you seen the kid who does the piercings over at that shop? I don't know if I want him touching me, even though he's going to be wearing rubber gloves. I mean, seriously, you just don't know what kind of infection you can possibly get. So if you're thinking, okay, I don't want a tattoo, piercing just doesn't sound right. So, I mean, what does that leave uh, for, you know, for the discriminating male to, you know, accessorize with? Well, answer the 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 standby historically um in american culture the uh, uh there's the, there's a whole subculture of guys especially in the corporate world uh, and i've run into them they literally size each other up based upon the watch that they're wearing is that an omega you know what is that a Cartier? It, oh wow, nice Rolex. Oh yeah, is that their Submariner? Oh, that's just beautiful. You know, and so what happens is, is that, in fact, <laughs> this is funny. When I was in the corporate world, um, you know, and I was coming up to the ranks, I had a, I had a boss who uh, had spent some time in the uh, working for Johnson and Johnson, and uh, and so he was, uh, you know, the the chief operating officer at the company that I was working for and this guy was a watch fanatic absolutely a watch fanatic and he would coach me sometimes we'd go on sales calls and stuff like that or we we would go and meet with other uh, business executives and you know he he had a, f- a faux rolex and you, what was really funny is is <laughs> that the first faux rolex he had turned his wrist green and so i mean cuz he only paid like 100 bucks for it and so he was scouring the internet. He scoured the internet for a Rolex that, um, that was not a Rolex, but, a, you know, but, you know, was designed to be as close to looking like the real thing as, as humanly possible. And so, I mean, he, I mean, he would constantly talk about these watches. And so, you know, I remember when, his, I think he spent like five, 600 bucks for a Rolex knockoff from some Indonesian company. And when it came in, oh, was he thrilled. Oh man. I mean, seriously, it was like Christmas morning for a five-year-old. Anyway, he comes into my office and he's Chris, Chris, you gotta see this thing. Look at it. And it's like, okay. Yeah. He's all look at me. I mean, can you tell the difference? I mean, I'm—I never really paid attention to real Rolexes, but go ahead, tell me. He's all. Take a look at how the second hand sweeps. You, you can barely tell that it's—it's it's stopping, can't you? I'm all. Um. Well, it looks like it's stopping to me. It's not quite sweepy, but uh, yeah. But it's, listen, to the untrained eye, they couldn't tell the difference. Okay. Sure. Whatever. And, you know, and so we were on a call where uh, we we were meeting with uh, uh, corporate executives from another corporation, you know, working out some kind of a strategic partnership on some technology uh, deal that we were putting together. Right. And so we're we're, (laughs) we're waiting in this company's lobby. And I kid you not, he was fidgeting with his suit and his shirt and he was trying to figure out, you know, How he can just move his arms in such a way enough to reveal the Rolex. But it wasn't a Rolex. It was a fake Rolex. And I knew it was a fake Rolex. And it's like, you know, so I'm sitting here going, and and he's looking at me going, Rosebro, this is really important. You don't understand. These executives, we, you know, we... You know, we size each other up based upon you know, you know watches and stuff like this. So I want them to see it, but I don't want them to totally see it. I want them to see that it's a Rolex, but I don't want them to fully be able to see it. So because otherwise, they might be able to tell that the sweep's not authentic. And I'm just thinking, really? Come on! I mean, this is, anyway. So I I don't remember what happened after that. I mean, that's that's the thing that sticks out the most in my mind. And I'm thinking vanity i mean absolutely vanity it's so it's like anyway so when i think of kevin gerald okay i you know when it comes to you know popular level heretics out there. Joel Osteen, there's no doubt about it, that Joel Osteen is one of the brightest stars in in the heretical world out there. And I mean, you know, and so, I mean, what's Joel Osteen's big slogan? You want, you tune into his program and it's discover the champion in, in you. And so Kevin Gerald, you know, you know, what's the name of his church? The Champion Center. And what does Kevin Gerald do that uh, Joel Osteen does every single Sunday. Well, remember, Joel Osteen has his own creed. Yeah, you know, Kevin Gerald has his own creed, too, just like Joel Osteen. In fact, let's do a little comparative work. Uh, here's Joel Osteen's This Is My Bible Self-Made Creed. Uh, and
2: This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same, in Jesus' name.
0: All right, so that's Joel Osteen's version. Here's Kevin Gerald's uh, cheap Rolex knockoff. Uh, Here we go.
3: So say with me, my heart's open, my mind's ready, make me better, God, today, in Jesus' name. Everybody shout a big
0: amen. There you go. So Kevin Gerald has his own creed that he starts his services off just like Joel Osteen does. Yeah, so so what is Kevin Gerald? Kevin Gerald is the cheap um, knockoff of, uh, you know, made from slightly different materials. Same kind of message, feel-good message, you know, guaranteed to, you know, well, discover the champion inside of you. You know, things like that. And uh, and so we're 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 really I'm I'm actually really looking forward to hearing Kevin Gerald speak because yeah it, it I understand what's going on there Stephen Furtick had Joel Osteen on the list you know granted T D Jake showed up and see this is the spot that Joel Osteen would have appeared in at the Code Orange revival but apparently Joel you know decided not to. Um, come and preach about Stephen Furtick. So don't worry. The next best thing. The next best thing. Kevin Gerald will be uh, will be <laughs> headlining at the Code Orange Revival tonight. So anyway, I, you know, I just wanted to talk about that <laughs> real quick. So you know, that's what's going on. So t- tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I'm 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 have I have a lot of hope. A lot of hope that uh, Kevin Gerald will provide us with some <laughs> great groaning, Bible-twisting, and narcegesis, and, and stuff like that. It, it's just, I'm sure it's going to be as close to the real thing as possible, and everybody will be thoroughly impressed. Anyway, <laughs> all right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I'm going to read a couple of emails. And in both inst well, no, actually, in one instance, I'm going to change the name. I'm, the reason I'm going to do that is, is because uh, one of the emails, I actually received a, an email from somebody who has been attending Elevation Church for the past five years. And I do not, do not, and will not give this person's name over the air uh, because um, I don't think the folks there at Elevation Church are safe. And what I mean by that is, is that if I were to mention his name on the air, I think he and his wife would uh, would be given all kinds of grief, and uh, and so I want to be able to allow them to speak without uh, being wrongly persecuted. Um, you know, for um, rightly pointing, uh, for rightly discovering what's wrong there at uh, Elevation Church. So I got an email that I wanted, two emails I want to look at here. Um, I've got the uh, a Christian Post article that was posted yesterday. I had a couple of conversations with a gal by the name of Brittany Smith of the uh, Christian Post, and uh, yesterday she uh, was able to uh, you know get one of her articles uh, published there at the Christian Post, uh, you know regarding uh, you know what. Well, actually, she's been doing a lot of coverage uh, there at the Christian Post regarding the Code Orange revival, and uh, and she actually picked up on the story about uh, Matt Chandler being censored. And so I'm going to be reading uh, Brittany Smith's article entitled Elevation Church Accused of Censoring Reform Pastor's Sermon. I thought she did a fantastic job. And great great questions. She asked some great questions. And so um, I'm still waiting for her uh, article regarding uh, Perry Noble's appearance. I'm curious to see how she covers that. Um, so we got that. Um, I've got kind of, you know, how do they say it in the popular culture today? awkward yeah there we've got um i <laughs> we've got a um an awkward um soundbite from Perry Noble from a couple of years ago back i think it was in march of 2009 at the uh, 2009 unleash conference um i was there um uh, perry noble um mm, said some very interesting things regarding planned revivals and i had totally forgot about it but then a listener emailed me and said chris you've got to go back and you need to uh you need to look at uh you, you know your uh, J- december 7th 2009 episode of fighting for the faith the, the gentleman who contacted me by the way his name is andy and he here's what he said just a quick email he's from Wyoming Michigan and he said I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure if you could use this in reference to the code orange revival but I was just listening to the December 7 2009 A episode uh of Fighting for the Faith where Perry Noble is speaking at his conference at the uh 2 minute 5 uh, uh 2 hour 5 minutes and 25 second mark Perry says this regarding um planned revivals. And so I'm not going to tell you what it says. I'm going to let Perry Noble do the uh the work there. And so I, you know, sure enough, I went back and and took a look and whoa, yeah, there <laughs> Perry Noble said some very interesting things about planned revivals. And you know, what's funny is is that the things that he's, you know, going after in his this one minute long soundbite, um I mean, it sounds like you could be talking about the code orange revival Odd that um uh, he then turns around and says some things at the Code Orange revival that seem to contradict what he said in 2009. Apparently he's had a change of heart. Maybe Stephen Furtick rebuked him for his false understanding of revivals, and so he's repented and now adopted Stephen Furtick's ideas regarding... um uh, uh, planned revivals and uh, so we got that I've got Stephen Furtick um, uh, st- introducing Stovall Weems Stovall Weems uh, was uh, the uh, featured speaker last night at the uh, the Code Orange Revival and I've got Furtick introducing him ta- giving a little kind of monologue teaching about spitting the bones so we're going to listen to him do that and then we're going to do something of a review of Stovall Weems's Code Orange Revival sermon Um and point out the fact how Stovall Weems, uh, the name of his, son, I think his sermon was something about laying a hold of something. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about how Stovall Weems lays hold of allegorical narcissists at the Code Orange revival. We'll give examples of that. And so, I mean, that's what we're gonna be doing on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, I think you're sitting there going, you know, don't you have any other things to talk about? Listen, trust me when I tell you, this program's all about discernment. Well, the <laughs> the 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 greatest event known in in human history where where there has the, been the greatest need for discernment is taking place right now in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, I mean, what's going on at the Code Orange Revival could not be more important. So, I mean, we're going to continue with our ongoing coverage and recaps of the um, uh, of the heresy Olympics. Again, I I'm getting I'm already getting emails from uh from y'all listeners, uh you know, suggesting Metal uh, medal uh, categories you know so you know i'm going to be uh, awarding medals at the end of this at the end of the heresy olympics for uh different people and their performances uh, there at the code orange revival and so i mean if you if you got some ideas for some medal categories now i got to tell you this uh during the normal olympics you know like the summer olympics or the winter olympics they always uh, make a point of uh having the medal count you know based by uh, based on country now i got to tell you until Perry Noble's performance the the Australians were ahead in the gold medal count at the uh, heresy olympics uh christine kane of uh, hillsong united uh and the australians they were ahead in the medal count uh for uh you know gold medals for uh, narcissistic eisegesis, otherwise known as narcissus and uh, and so i but got to tell you after perry noble's performance the other night I th- I think the Americans have taken the lead in the in the in the in the gold medal count at the heresy Olympics just saying. So I mean I, the, for those of you out there, you know, who are, you know, considering, you know, putting up some wagers regarding, you know, which country is going to uh, you know, come away with the most gold medals at the heresy Olympics. It was looking like the Australians were running away with it but the the united uh, thank, thankfully the united states has swooped in and uh, and and uh Perry Noble um representing the US of A way to go Perry uh, has uh, has you know put in a performance an international internationally worthy performance there at the heresy olympics and I, at this point it's looking like this um um so far the way it's looking gold medal for narcissistic Isa is going to uh the Americans uh, Perry Noble representing his country silver medal at this point and silver medal spot is for sure Christine Kane of uh, uh of Australia so you Aussies out there you know you can you can celebrate the fact that you're for sure going to you know have one of your countrymen standing on the medal platform unless of course you know you know anyway <laughs> the metaphor is killing me. Anyway, so I just wanted to let y'all know that. So uh, with that we're going to dive into the program proper. Um I must warn you if you're if you're if you're not used to this program, we try to use humor as a means of making points. And, uh, you know, which basically should tell you that I don't give professional courtesy to Bible twisting and heresy and things like that. And it has a tendency to be a little bit shocking and jolting for new listeners. So just keep that in mind. Uh, So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Got a couple of emails I would like to share with you. Okay, this email comes to us from... uh, a man who lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. He and his wife have attended um, Elevation Church for five years. However, they will no longer be attending. And so the uh, and I, I'm not going to give you his name because I I I know how the elevators will treat him if uh, they heard who this was. So the uh, the name the name I've given for this person I'm gonna I'm gonna refer to him as Athanasius. This is Athanasius from Charlotte, North Carolina. The subject reads, "Thank you and more about elevation censoring Matt Chandler." Athanasius. This is not his real name. This is the name I've given him in order to protect him. Um, Athanasius writes, he says, I just wanted to thank you for your ministry. I've been extremely blessed by it for the past few days as I listened to your archives learning about discernment and all of the tricks used by false teachers. I had been going to Elevation Church for the past five years every single week until very recently. I have been feeling unrest for many months, considering leaving the church, sensing much ego on Furtick's part, amongst many other things, taking a week to show the documentary and his book instead of preaching really left a bad taste in my mouth. But I was held back by the lies taught every week, thinking surely for the church to be flourishing the way it is, it must be God, right? Boy, was I wrong. I also want to point out that despite daily prayer and reading of the word, I have been unable to grow spiritually bound by the completely backward narcissistic eisegesis teaching at Elevation Church. After Matt Chandler's unbelievable message... And much that I had learned by listening to your podcast, I now know why I haven't been able to grow spiritually. I have been consistently ingesting spiritual poison and have been reading the Bible completely wrong. I feel like my eyes have been open and I have had difficulty understanding how I could listen to that week in and week out, but I am just glad that I have escaped that trap. Looking back at all of the people there and how I, it kept me from growing or even really learning anything about Jesus, I have the very uneasy feeling that elevation is being used as an extraordinary, extraordinarily cunning tool of evil used to ensnare people, a masterfully orchestrated show designed to manipulate emotion. Um... Athanasius. I got to tell you, um, I want to make something very clear. Matt Chandler would tell you this, and I will tell you this. It was neither me nor him who opened your eyes. It was God the Holy Spirit through the preaching of his word and the gospel. God is the one who opens the eyes of folks. And so I am thanking God and praising God that you have heard the biblical gospel and that your eyes have been open, your ears have been unstopped, and that now you know that what you need to be listening for in any pastor's sermon, regardless of how successful they may be, you need to be hearing, uh, literally hearing for Jesus. Are they really, truly preaching Christ? Are they rightly handling the word or are they instead teaching you to read yourself into the Scripture as if you are your own Messiah. And so I'm very, very thankful that God has opened your eyes and has set you free from the bondage that you've been in for the past five years. And I will continue to pray, as well as the folks here uh, who listen to Fighting for the Faith, they will be praying for you, that God will send you to a congregation where Sunday after Sunday after Sunday you're going to hear God's word rightly handled, and you're going to hear the law and the gospel correctly divided, and ultimately Sunday after Sunday they're going to placard Christ and him crucified for your sins, so that you can fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is the vine. You are the branches. Abide in him and his word, and his word is all about him. It's not about you. So thankfully, God has opened your eyes there. Now, Athanasius continues, and uh, what I mean by that is is that he changes the subject, and he wanted to kind of weigh in regarding Stephen Furtick's mannerisms and behavior during Matt Chandler's uh, sermon. Athanasius writes, he says, on a completely different note, I want to point out a couple of observations that I found interesting from Matt Chandler's sermon. Number one, he seems to be looking and preaching directly to Furtick, to his left, much of the sermon, especially when he makes points about the Bible not being about you. Two, he repeatedly says, look at me, before saying an important point. Could he be saying that to Furtick? good question three the cameramen tended uh, uh, to show the crowd and those on stage whenever the audience was clapping so I scrubbed through the sermon and watched every time it happened watching Furtick who did not clap once or even appear to be paying any attention to Chandler he was slumped back like a teenager with an attitude I was especially unnerved when Matt Chandler proclaimed that he doesn't want Matt glorified. He, God, wants to be glorified um, in and everyone applauded except for Ferdict. When Chandler says you are not the center of the universe, he looks directly at Furtick to proclaim that you to proclaim that and stare at him in the face when he is clearly despising everything Chandler is saying is so unbelievably bold. He says, "Quote: There is no sin in your life, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None." That's forty-one minutes into the sermon. To, uh, to applause and amens, except for Furtick's who at that point he's leaning on his fist, presumably glaring at Chandler. He's normally unbelievably energetic, jumping around, raising his hands, amening pastors off the stage. I don't want to extract meaning that isn't there, but why won't he acknowledge the cross of Christ when he so exuberantly acknowledges every other thing uttered by guest preachers? I've watched him for years, and I have never... Seen him behave that way. Thanks again. My wife and I spent hours upon hours listening to your show, learning discernment and being encouraged. From Athanasius, a code name that I've given him to protect him and his wife, somebody who's attended Elevation Church every single Sunday for the last five years. Athanasius, thank you for your observations. And I think it's important to note that as somebody who's been. To uh, Elevation, as long as you have, I mean, it's only a six-year-old church, and you've been there every Sunday for the last five years, and you've never seen Stephen Furtick behave the way he did. I've watched Furtick from afar and studied him from afar for the past five years as well. And um I agree with you. I've never seen him behave this way. And I'm he he does a very bad job of hiding his emotions. He usually has his emotions right there out on his sleeve. And my interpretation of his body language and the way he was behaving was that he was upset, that he was angry. And so um I'm glad to uh, have that confirmation from somebody who knows Furtick as well as you do, uh being able to see him in three dimensions uh you know every Sunday for the past 5 years. Dan in Ohio writes, he says, Chris, I just listened to your show from January 18th about Furtick, and I agree 100%. I am so glad someone is reporting this. I hope your show and your message about this is heard far and wide, and I will continue to come back for updates. The filth being spoken by Furtick and his friends is the most sickening thing I have ever heard. I find it quite interesting now, after what has happened regarding Matt Chandler that Matt and Furtick will supposedly be facing off at the elephant room too. And, and after the displays of the sickening so-called revival, what will be the message of James McDonald when he gets there? And what will come of the weakening relationship between McDonald and the rest of the true Reformed Church uh, based upon how he responds to this? I you know and By the way, uh, Dan, I have no idea. I really don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of the, uh, another sub-point to all this that – um. I, I I will be watching to see if there's a story that develops there. But you're right, the elephant room is coming up. I like what next week or the week after. I forget. It's like shortly after the Code Orange revival, and uh, the question is, uh, you know, wh- what is what does all this mean at this point? I mean. Will they just gloss this over? I mean, will Chandler basically say, you know, just give Furtick a pass for what's happened? I don't know. I I really honestly don't know. But this is going to be an angle worth uh, watching. Will they somehow circle the wagons and put on some kind of a front of unity? I, I just don't know. So... Um, anyways, um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you raise some great questions and I don't have the answers to them. And I think this will be the thing to be looking forward to. Uh, well, Sunday, uh, uh, James McDonald teaches at, not Sunday, Saturday, Saturday night, James McDonald is headlining at the, uh, Code Orange revival. Um, what will he say? What will he do? I don't know, but, uh, you know, one can hope because he's shown in the past that he's that he knows the biblical gospel and preaches it. He's done it in the past. Will he do it there? We'll see. Will he be willing to risk his friendship, uh, you know, and bond with the uh, Furtick? Um, I don't know. Well, you know, again, th- there's lots of stuff going on. We'll ha- just have to wait and see. So, all right, we're up on our first break. And if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian, or at pirate Christian. You know, you, know, you got it. Anyway, we'll be right back.
1: Pythons Flying Circus Church!
4: Welcome to Build-A-God! How can I help you? Hello! I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you! Oh, it really is! Okay, let's get started! first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay-affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is, too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes, my goddess would let everyone go to heaven, except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, my good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent, excellent! Now for the final step, you have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god.
0: Alright, we're back. Warning, you don't feed and grow your Christian faith by reading yourself into the Bible. It's just not possible. Because you're disconnected from the vine. That would be Jesus Christ when you do that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you're going to see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, Donate. The other says, Join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute to our ongoing work. You can do that by clicking on the donate button, or you can do it the traditional way by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. From the Christian Post, headline reads, Elevation Church Accused of Censoring a Reformed Pastor's Sermon by Brittany Smith. Got to tell you, Brittany Smith has done her homework and it shows. And I, I spent, uh, I talked to her on two different occasions, and in uh, good interviewer, I mean, intelligent questions, and you can tell she was uh, digging to uh, try to find out what was going on here. Uh, Brittany writes, she says, "Elevation Church's revival is seeing some theological controversy. An apologist and blogger is claiming that Matt Chandler's sermon was censored during a rebroadcast." We'll see. There you go. You know, I mean. Um, did I mention that I'm uh, I'm broadcasting this morning from my mother's basement? Yeah, it's true. I'm broadcasting from my mom's basement uh, in a beanbag e- while eating Cheetos. Just want to let y'all know that it's, you know what, is it Rush Limbaugh who says that he's got his formerly nicotine stained fingertips? Well, I've got my presently uh, Cheetos stained fingertips. You know that I'm looking at right here from my mom's basement. You know because I'm a blogger. You know, I'm just I'm just being facetious, but th- I mean, that's the thing. Bloggers, apparently, are the bane of the earth. You know, I think Jesus, at one point in the scriptures uh, it said to them, "You brood of bloggers, who warned you to m- flee your mother 's basement anyway that 's <laughs> a joke i <clears throat> Anyway, the apologist and blogger is me. Anyway, she says, uh, Matt Chandler, a reformed and evangelical pastor, spoke as a guest speaker at Elevation last Friday, the third night of the Code Orange revival. But Chris Roseborough, blogger and host of Fighting for the Faith, told the Christian Post that Chandler's sermon was never rebroadcast afterwards like the other speakers' talks were. Now, never is quite not quite exactly right. It wasn't rebroadcast during the first Two normally scheduled rebroadcast times, but I think she gets that in my thing here. Um, But let me continue reading. Elevation Church is in the midst of its 12-night revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. Each night, the worship time and speaker sermons are rebroadcast on the Elevation Network at 10.12 p.m. and 3.12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I would even throw into the mix also one other time at 12.12 12 p.m. The, the following day. Roseboro told the Christian Post that when he went back to watch Chandler's sermon at both the appointed times, that would be 10, 12 p.m. Friday night and 3, 12 a.m. Saturday morning, Elevation's rebroadcast of the worship time leading up to Chandler's sermon uh, was there. But right when it got time for the sermon, it was cut out. They put a prayer update in its place. Elevation's spokesperson, Tanya Bendixson, told the Christian Post, quote, we decided to do a prayer time live during the first rebroadcast time. We were getting so many requests for prayer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the official line from the folks there at, Ele- at Elevation in the Code Orange Revival is, oh, yeah, we were getting so many requests for prayer. So we decided to cut the sermon. You know, just exit right out. And here's the deal. Uh, At the uh, 3.12 a.m. time, um, I I was watching. And I got to tell you, the the, the prayer update time, it couldn't have been more than 8 to 10 minutes max. Max, 8 to 10 minutes. I mean, why didn't they just, you know, put the prayer thing in there and then, you know, and then go back to the sermon, right? But see, what happened is, is that, when they cut to the prayer update, because you know they were getting so many requests, so I mean we were just we didn't have a choice but to get rid of Matt Chandler's sermon because, you know, the prayer requests were coming in and we needed to we get rid of that and 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 because you know it just needed to go and 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 we had to we had to we had to pray. Sounds so pious, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense though. I mean, because I mean, they if they wanted to, you know, put in some emergency prayer requests, they had they could have easily, and I mean, easily, just put that in there and then cut right back to the sermon and and let Matt Chandler's sermon play. Right? It's important to note that during the rebroadcast, where you know after Stephen Furtick finally agreed to have them rebroadcast the sermon, that prayer update was missing. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, uh, but what's what's funny here is is that. Now we've got a different story, because Tanya Bendixson said, we decided to do a prayer time live during the first rebroadcast time. We were getting so many prayer requests. Oh, yeah, bless your heart. Anyway, but uh, the motion graphic designer, uh, Jeff Schultz of Elevation Church, explained on his Facebook wall that Chandler's sermon was edited out of the Revival's broadcast because, quote, the team decided to focus the rebroadcast on Jesus. Yeah, because apparently... (laughs) Matt Chandler didn't talk about Jesus at all, so they needed to refocus on Jesus. And so uh, Jeff Schultz said, so we reformatted the content a bit. We're trying to stay in the flow of what the Spirit is leading us to do. So anyway, Elevation's pastor, Stephen Furtick, sent out a tweet at 9.18 the next day. That would be Saturday morning. This is after I broke the story at about 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, the story started going viral almost after, immediately after I started, po- uh, I posted it up on Twitter and Facebook. He said, I apologize for the inconvenience of last night's Code Orange Revival programming change. Matt Chandler's message will re-air today at 10, 12 a.m. and 12, 12 p.m. And by the way, he did re-air it. It, it, it did show it up. Now, Tanya Bendixson noted that Pastor Chandler's message did re-broad, uh, rebroadcast, just not the first time. That's not true, uh, Tanya. It didn't rebroadcast the first time, and it didn't rebroadcast the second time either. There was two scheduled rebroadcast times and both the first and the second time when it should have reaired, it was gone. Okay? So that's not exactly correct. You know, we'll just chalk it up to maybe she just wasn't aware of that. Maybe she was asleep at three twelve AM and forgot about that one. Anyway, she says she says, but it will be available for podcast after the revival with all of the other messages. Now, I know some of you are, I can hear you right now, you're saying, yeah, right, because you, you, really they're gonna, they're gonna podcast it? I mean, every time that the Chandler sermon pops up on YouTube, Elevation Church is like playing Missile Command and, uh, and, you know, filing copyright infringement, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> things with YouTube every single time they find a link to Chandler's sermon on YouTube. Now, this is true, they have been doing that. But I I tend to believe Tanya here. I I think that um, they realize that at this point, the the more they try to suppress this video, the more people will want to see it. So I think they're going to post it in order to silence you know to get rid of the controversy. And uh, and to you know to let things settle down. They haven't played this this hand very well at all. In fact, I'm kind of thankful for the folks there at at, uh, at elevation, and thankful that um, that uh, Stephen Furtick was upset, and they just and they, and they did all this. The reason why I'm thankful about it is because Chandler's sermon is like the talk of the town. People around the web want to see it. And so people are sending out pirated copies this way and that way, and everyone's trying to get a hold of it and hang on to it, is insurance and stuff like that. This thing's getting around. And out of any of the sermons from the Code Orange revival, that's the one that needs to get around. Why? Because he preaches the gospel. So I'm thankful for the controversy because it's ensuring that the one sermon for sure that we know uh, where the gospel was preached That that's the one that everyone wants to see. So I think they're gonna. I think Tanya's telling the truth. I think Pastor Chandler's sermon's gonna be available for the podcast. And I think the reason why they're gonna do that is because they know if they left it out. The entire Internet would – it would just explode in their face. And so they've got to diffuse the situation. And so I think we can trust them that uh, when the podcasts are available, the Code Orange revival, Chandler's Sermon will be available there for all to see. No, I don't, I don't doubt it a bit. So um, we look forward to uh, seeing them do that. And so yeah, I just want to let everybody – my prediction, Elevation is going to make that available. They're going to. That I don't think they have a choice at this point. Anyway, um, let's see. Continuing with the um, with the story, um, Roseboro said that he isn't buying it, and I, I need to explain here. I, it's not that I'm not buying that they're going to put the podcast up. I'm not buying their their um, reasoning for what ha- what went on. Uh, he said on his blog, "Fact is, Furtick's explanation is a flimsy effort at spin slash damage control with an admission that a deliberate decision was made to remove Chandler's sermon." ...from the first two rebroadcasts. He told the Christian Post that he broke the story of the censorship Saturday morning and shortly after Elevation revised... After the, after breaking the story, uh, Elevation revised their decision, and the sermon was rebroadcast uh, at the 10-12 p.m. spot on Saturday. Roseboro thinks part of the reason for the alleged censorship stems from Furtick and Chandler's theological differences. During his talk, Chandler came out both guns blazing and blew the head off of Stephen Furtick's favorite Bible technique of allegorizing a text. Chandler said the Bible is not about you. That's a direct quote from me, by the way. And uh, at the beginning of his talk at the revival, Chandler, who leads the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, told crowds, quote, We've got to get past elevation and Pastor Furtick. We've got to get underneath all that so that we can gaze upon what's actually going on and what God is about. In Roseboro's view... The, talks, uh, the talk was a boxing match theologically. If you watch Furtick's body language, he was, well, I use a word that may be offensive to some. I'll just say he was upset. And uh, he wasn't clapping, and he was shaking his head. Chandler, who was one of 11 world-class, uh, you know, in quotes, uh, speakers invited to the 12-night revival preached about the law and about sinfulness, which Roseboro said is considered negative preaching in Furtick's book. Furtick has told his congregation he doesn't like negative preaching. Chandler's talk centered around the law and the gospel, telling those in the audience that, quote, the law can't save you. Its purpose is to show you your sin. Texas pastor told the crowd the only solution against sin is Jesus Christ and him crucified, Roseboro recalled. Chandler and Furtick have debated theological issues in the past. They participated in the Elephant Room conference last year, where Chandler told the young Elevation pastor that the Reformed community is not a big fan of him. He pointed to a video, He came across where Furtick rebuked his church for wanting depth. You're in front of your congregation saying you guys want to talk about reform. You guys want to talk about this doctrine. Well, I want you to know we baptize a thousand people. Chandler, Chandler said he was heartbroken because through that talk, Furtick literally said evangelism and doctrine are exclusive. The Elevation pastor clarified that he was just being hyperbolic and that what he was trying to say was that he was tired of people saying, give me abstract theoretical truths as long as they don't have to do anything about it. He said he exaggerated his point to tell those people to get out of here, Elevation, if that's what you want. And by the way, the Village Church has declined to comment on the rebroadcasting issue. So that's the story to date, and uh, thank you to uh, Brittany Smith uh, of the Christian Post for uh, covering the story and doing a fine, fine job. I think she put out a good, balanced piece. So um, we will keep you posted. By the way, again, my prediction, when the podcast come out of the uh, Code Orange revival, Matt Chandler's sermon will be there, unedited in all of its glory, because the folks there at Elevation Church know that if they were to dink with this, even for a second, uh, that the uh, the outcry and the outrage and the controversy would never end. And so I, th- I, th- I don't think they have a choice. They have to replay Matt Chandler's uh, thing uh, in, in, the po- in the podcast because if they didn't, the controversy would sink them. So anyway, moving along.
2: Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air?
0: Yeah, that means we're doing a Perinoble oh, update.
2: Broad, a hoak, a, a charlatan, charlatan a, a joke, joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as, as I, I say it with a flare. First I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and poppycock And fix you with my best hypnotic stare (laughs) With my moans and groans and soporific tones They have cheered me Everyone for it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say. I sell it when I tell it with a C.
0: Yeah, there we go. All right, yeah, that's our Perry Noble update music. And um, <clears throat> remember earlier in the program, I said we had one of those, well, awkward, awkward, awkward moments to um, report for you. Uh, thanks to the uh, sleuthing uh, abilities of one of our listeners uh, to remind me that, well, Perry Noble has said some interesting stuff in the past. And what I mean by that is is that um, Perry Noble has, well, at the 2009 Unleash Conference, which was um, a conference that, he, he he holds two conferences every year out there in Anderson uh, for church leaders. And I happen to be in attendance at this particular con- a conference, which is kind of funny. I was in the audience when he said this. And, of course, the funny thing, if it gets even funnier. I forgot that... Um, he said this, which, again, proof positive. I am suffering from, obviously, the early onset of creeping decrepitude. But uh, creeping decrep- uh, decrepitude nonetheless. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, at the, uh, <clears throat> at the Unleashed conference in 2009, it's interesting to note that Perry Noble um, slammed, and I mean slammed, the idea of scheduling Revival. Um. Yeah. If you haven't seen this, uh, go to YouTube.com and just type in in the YouTube search bar there. Perry Noble slamming Stephen Furtick's Code Orange revival? Question mark. And that's the question. I mean, would Perry, well, you know, would Perry Noble think that um, that this ref- well, it, the, this applies to Stephen Furtick? I I don't see how it doesn't. But um, yeah, here's Perry Noble. You know, unleashing, if you would, on um, the concept of scheduled revivals and and things like that, and he, he kind, of, kind of he's going to start by making the point that you can't plan a move of God. But uh, here's Perry Noble.
2: You can't manage a move of God. You can't orchestrate a move of God. You can't plan a move of God. A move of God just happens. Which, by the way, bothers me. When like people, does it? It's always wigged me out that people plan revivals.
0: It's always wigged you out that people plan revivals. You mean like the Code Orange revival, which has been planned for a long, long, long time? Would that wig you out? You were one of the speakers at the Code Orange revival, which was planned for a long, long, long time. Hey. Now, just so you, you can't see it, but uh, he, he's looking up as if he's talking to God. And he just, he said, hey, like he's talking to God, the Holy Spirit. So that's what's going on here.
2: The week of September
0: 17th. Yeah, like, you know, the the week of January 12th. It's just, you know, weird. Yeah. You can move. Right on. Yeah, you tell the Holy Spirit. You let him know. Now, Tuesday is
2: Pack-a-Pew night Uh uh-huh and we're bringing in people from other church to do it because we can't do it ourselves
0: (laughs) we're bringing in people from other church to do the revival because we can't do it ourselves interesting of the twelve nights of the Code Orange revival, um, how many nights is Stephen Furtick actually, you know, headlining? Oh, oh, oh that's right, one. You know, it's weird because he brought in speakers from a whole bunch of other churches to do the revival. You, you don't think that Perry Noble here in two thousand and nine would, you know, be speaking from the past to um, rebuke Stephen Furtick, or maybe it's that Stephen Furtick rebuked him for this teaching, and and now Perry Noble's repented. Because it sounds like in 2009, he was solidly against this idea that you can plan a movement of God and schedule it on the calendar. We continue. And if you could just move then, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: See, the problem is people try to plan a move of God, and you can't plan a move of God.
0: Yeah, you can't plan a move of God. So, Perry Noble, apparently you can't plan a move of God, but... that's what Stephen Furtick has done done there at Elevation Church in the Code Orange Revival. Again, you know, my uh, analysis uh, is actually pretty simple, and and it boils down to this. Awkward! Yeah. Yeah. Or to use use an old phrase that comes out of the 19th century that isn't politically correct anymore, but then again, I'm not politically correct. Let me... uh, Do this the best I can. Hmm. White men speak with forked tongue. He speak out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, something (laughs) something like that. Yeah, because on the one hand, he's slapping down pastors who have scheduled revivals and bringing other people to conduct it. And yet, that's the very thing that Stephen Furtick did with the Code Orange revival. And who headlined two nights ago? (laughs) Perry Noble. Yeah, it just the hypocrisy here is just unbelievable off the chain. It just makes you wonder what's really going what's going on down there in the Carolinas, uh, between Perry Noble and Stephen Fertica. Uh, could they be uh, part of some greater wolf pack, you know, unprincipled, uh, you know, pastors who really aren't pastors at all but narcissistic aisgeets who um are building little kingdoms to themselves? No, it couldn't be that. Moving along. Yeah, switching topics here to, well, talk about Stephen Furtick. Everyone seems to talk about Stephen Furtick, including Stephen Furtick. But this is our update music. Enjoy. probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain.
1: You probably think the Bible's about you. Don't you? Don't you? Uh-oh.
0: Oh, (laughs) Oh, boy, I'm in trouble here. I caught myself raising my hand, praise and worship style. Well, (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Maybe the spirit moved me. I was suffering from a moment of enthusiasm. Anyway, (laughs) okay, to kind of set this up, uh, what we're going to be listening to is uh, the the very tail end of the praise and worship set, or I'm sorry, the worship experience, uh, leading into Stephen Furtick giving his kind of um, talk about, um, you know, his preaching on the code just before Stovall Weems uh, takes the stage there at uh, at the Code Orange revival last night and I want, you need to hear what Furtick said because I'm of the opinion that he may be doing the best that he can to engage in some kind of spin control to grasp onto the spiraling out of control negative press that he's been getting well in the blogs as well as um, now in the Christian Post um, yeah, here's Stephen Furtick.
5: Keep the drums in and let me hear the people. Y'all be quiet. Just a drum. Say glory to God. Glory to God. If we give him some glory tonight, he can do something awesome in our lives. Uh,
0: what? <laughs> uh, what? Okay. This, by the way, this is the epitome of uh, a misunderstanding of law and gospel. If we give God some glory tonight... Yeah, hang on, backing up the audio. Here, here's Stephen Furtick. Glory to God.
5: If we'll give him some glory tonight, he can do something awesome in our lives.
0: I see. So apparently, if we just give God some glory tonight, he'll do some awesome things in our life. Huh, so poor God, he's sitting up there in heaven in need of some glory. If you would just give him some, then, you know, he would thank you kindly. Oh, yeah, poor God, he's a glory popper. Yeah, he's very poor in the glory department and, you know, doesn't have enough of his own. And so, yeah, he needs you to give him some. And as soon as you do, then he'll say, oh, thank you. Thank you. I needed some glory. Here, let me help you out with some of your problems in your life. This <laughs> sounds like the same Holy Spirit that Melissa Fisher believes in. Hi, Melissa. It's the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I I can't figure anything out. Could you make one of those fancy videos? Yeah, backing this up, you need to hear this uh, cosmic quid pro quo here. And, uh, you know, if you want a miracle in your life, all you need to do is cough up some glory and give it to God. Glory to
5: God. If we'll give Him some glory tonight, He can do something awesome in our lives. When we glorify Him, things begin to shift in our situation. If we'll give Him the glory tonight, all things are possible. Yeah,
0: if you give him the glory, then all things are possible. If, yeah, this is law talk. This is a complete confusion of law and gospel. By the way, the Bible teaches that the reason why God takes care of his children is because he loves them as children. They're his adopted kids. And salvation is a free gift anyway. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Yeah, God isn't in need of your glorifying him. And, 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 and by the way, Glory, glorifying God is not the currency that you pay in order to buy a miracle from God. This is bad, 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 false doctrine here.
5: By the way, the, I hate
0: to you know interrupt so much, but um. By the way, the, the Christian message isn't that you need to give your life to God. No, actually, the, the biblical message is that Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, gave himself for you. Yeah, this is like, uh, again, that's the part about narcissistic eiseges. Is it basically turns God into somebody who needs you. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't. He God doesn't need anything you got. It's just that's just a flat out fact biblically. If you don't believe me, read the whole book and then get back with me and let me know if God needs anything from you. Talk about a 7 Eleven song. Good night. Take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be. Take my life and. Is this a mantra? What is this? Getting towards the end there, you can tell by the drums. And now for the preaching, mini-sermon, mini if you would, by Stephen Furtick.
5: There's somebody who needs to say to Jesus tonight, Take my life. You're not in right relationship with him. You know it. And I believe that the Lord has prepared an atmosphere through the singing.
0: The, uh, <laughs> he's prepared an atmosphere. You know, what's weird because the Patricia King gang over at Extreme Prophetic talks about creating atmospheres.
5: Hmm. ...of the truths about who he is, for you to give him your life. And I just want to let you yeah, know... Yeah,
0: again, again, um, biblically, the message of the gospel is that Christ gave his life for us.
5: Yeah, this is weird. ...that at the end of this worship experience, tonight, after the word of God is preached, you will have an... I've
0: got to point this out, Okay. There is a passage in Romans chapter 12 that, that says, Therefore, in light of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You're already holy and acceptable because of Christ. And But it's always in light of God's mercies, which is the biblical gospel. So notice the context here. He's saying, I know that somebody here doesn't have a right relationship with God. The right relationship isn't established by our offering ourselves as a sacrifice or surrendering to God. Our right relationship to God is established by Christ's surrender, Christ's sacrifice, and what he's done. His sacrifice, his blood, his shed blood makes us holy, and our response is praise, worship, thanksgiving. You get what I'm saying? This is backwards. I, I can't establish my relationship with God by my giving Him my, myself to Him. It doesn't make any sense.
5: <sighs> opportunity to surrender your life to the Lord. I believe that God is starting something awesome in your life, and I pray that you will give Him your full attention in these moments watching online all around the world. I need you to high-five somebody and tell them... Um, God is good, and then be seen. I think he's running out of things you know, for people you, to say. When you do so many nights in a row of high five and tell them, only so much you can tell somebody. Stay with me. In just a moment, I'll introduce our speaker, but as most of you know, I've been taking a moment each night to just highlight something that represents the values of our church. We have a list of... Twelve Statements of Values, called Our Code, and playing off the idea of Code Orange Revival. We've taken one for each night, and we just share a little bit about it. And uh, before I introduce the man who's going to preach the house down tonight, you know what I did? When I booked the preachers, for the most part, I booked... Yeah,
0: that's right. He scheduled the revival, yeah, and he booked the preacher. <laughs> yeah, and Perry Noble's words still ringing in my ears here.
5: booked all of the people... Who I love to listen to the most myself, because I was like, well, if nobody else shows up, at least I'm gonna <laughs> like the sermons, because <laughs> I didn't know if anybody would show. Well, that hasn't been a problem, but in the process, we've been able to really hear from some incredible men and women of God. And one of the reasons for that is that we're we're trained as a church, we're we're instructed by God, I believe, in the scriptures to always learn what we can from who we can.
0: Uh, really, you got a verse that says that we're we're instructed to learn what we can from who we can. Yeah, um, hang on a second here. I just, just doing a little fact checking from my Bible here. Um, Titus chapter one. Okay, Titus chapter one. I'll start at verse five, so we get some good context here. Are you ready? Here we go. Titus chapter one, verse five. The Apostle Paul writing to uh, the pastor Titus. Here's what he says. Um, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Selah. (laughs) Selah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. let me read that again. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Okay. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Huh, that's weird. Um, hang on a second there. I need to back up the audio just a smidge. Uh, doing a little uh, comparative work here, see if Stephen Furtick has got this right. So these, the Bible tells us to learn what we can from who we can. Hang on a second here.
5: And one of the reasons for that is that we're 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 trained as a church, we're We're instructed by God, I believe, in the scriptures to always learn what we can from who we can.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So we're instructed to learn what we can from who we can. He must hold firmly to... This is Titus chapter 1, verse 8. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I'm not seeing anything about listening to people who teach false doctrine and, you know, just learning what we can from them. Hmm. uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate. Hang on, I'm doing another Salah. There are many who are insubordinate. Mm -hmm, mm
4: -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, and they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, uh, said, a Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Hmm. Okay, that's what God's Word said, and uh, Stephen Furtick is saying this. Hang on.
5: To always learn what we can from who we can.
0: Hmm. Why would Stephen Furtick say that he believes that God teaches us in his Word to learn what we can from who we can when the Apostle Paul... I mean, no, I understand. Okay, I understand that the Apostle Paul is not the Messiah. Stephen Furtick apparently is because, I mean, you know, Matthew chapter... 13 verses 16 through 17. Blessed are your eyes because you've seen and heard the things that Stephen Furtick has done and said. But, um, you know, the Apostle Paul being just a mere apostle um, and not not the Messiah, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit nonetheless, though, because it does say in Scripture that all Scripture is God breathed. um, He says the exact opposite thing that Stephen Furtick said that God teaches us in his word. The Apostle Paul said, pastors much te- must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradicted, and that those who contradict sound doctrine must be silenced. Uh-huh. I- again.
5: We're instructed by God, I believe, in the scriptures to always learn what we can from who we can. Now, there are some people who preach false gospels, and there are some people who preach untruth, and certainly... Uh we wanna Yeah, let
0: me think of a couple of people like um um like Kevin Gerald, T. D. Jakes, hmm, uh Christine Cain. Uh, Craig Rochelle. I mean uh yeah, I've I you know here's the deal. The, the weird thing is this is what he's saying there at the Code Orange Revival last night, talking about oh yeah, there's some out there who teach false doctrine and teach false gospels. Why doesn't he consider Christine Kane, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, and guys like that to be part of that list of people who teach false doctrine? Yeah, and yet, I've definitively demonstrated by showing you, by comparing what these folks have said in the name of God to the word of God here at this, on this program, that they ain't teaching the truth, they're teaching false doctrine. They're they're twisting God's word, engaging in narcissistic eisegesis. Hmm. Weird. Okay, we continue.
5: Gospels, and there are some people who preach untruth, and certainly uh, we want to stand for Jesus and always be bold about that. But I think that so much of the time, uh, we let our preferences drive who we will and won't learn from.
0: Our, our preferences. It makes me wonder, I mean, do you think that uh, Furtick was, you know, just preferring not to hear Matt Chandler's uh, sermon again and learn from him? You know, just I think it's a fair question.
5: Our background, our preconceived notions.
0: Huh. Hmm. It, so, is the idea that I want to hear sound doctrine, I want to hear Christ and Him crucified for our sins, is that just a personal preference? Or is that what God's word teaches me to? Th- Prefer as a Christian, because I mean, what did the Apostle Paul says? We preach not ourselves, but Christ and Him crucified for our sins. I think that's Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five, or I mean, for, uh, you know, First Corinthians chapter two is mean, verse two, where he says that um, you know, I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and Him crucified. Do you think that the idea of um, you know, hear, perf- you know, wanting to hear sound doctrine as opposed to false doctrine, the true gospel as opposed to watered down or false gospels, or or you know, the gospel with other stuff attached to it that doesn't belong there? Do you think that's just a matter of personal preference or is that what we as Christians are instructed we should be doing?
5: You know, just, you know, just
0: asking the question.
5: One time I was telling a certain uh, pastor who was a campus pastor at the college where I went to about some preachers who I didn't like when they came to preach in chapel at our Christian college. And I was naming them and he said, Stephen, let me tell you something. He said, if you could learn right now a principle um, when you listen to someone preach God's word uh, that that you can get in your heart and live by it it will be life-changing for you
0: I just got a question was this guy who told you this was he the apostle Paul because you know unless he has apostolic credentials you know as a Christian I actually my conscience is bound to the word of God and God's word clearly says in Titus that uh, we're not to listen to those who teach false doctrine, but we're to rebuke them and you know and um, and silence them. Th- that's what Titus says there. Y- y- hmm. Weird.
5: And we continue. And he said, "I want you to write this down." So I got a notebook. And he said, "It's going to sound simple, but here it is." He said, "Eat the fish and leave the bones." Hmm. And yet
0: the scripture doesn't tell us that it says to rebuke those who teach false doctrine. It's as if false doctrine is poison, that it shouldn't be mixed with the pure teaching of God's word. Eat the fish, spit the bones. It sounds so wise, doesn't it? But the scripture actually doesn't teach this concept. Uh Uh-oh.
5: That changed my life because for the rest of the time I was at that college, I just got up in my seat in chapel every week. In some weeks, my attitude was better than others, and some... Yeah,
0: I, I do got to say this. Um, since he is a graduate of Southern Seminary, uh, chances are pretty good that he didn't hear any heretics there, unless, of course, he was watching TVN.
5: <clears throat> well, the speakers were more dynamic than others, but it was just so helpful to me to know...
0: Oh, yeah, more dynamic. That's how you judge whether or not somebody really has the spirit. It's whether or not they're dynamic.
5: Oh that... You know, I can receive from God in any style. Um, it's about the substance. and
0: and I'm a... uh, I agree. It is about the substance, and that seems to be the thing that's uh, supremely lacking from the Code Orange revival. There's a lot of substance regarding Stephen Furtick, yeah, not so much on the front of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of substantive Bible-twisting and narsegeting going on there at the Code Orange revival, not so much substantive sound biblical doctrine like we heard from Matt Chandler. That seems to be the token case of sound biblical teaching there at the code orange revival
5: they have preferences some of you don't like preachers who yell at you uh, you don't last at this church very long <laughs> you'd be out of here in four weeks maybe um
0: yeah i don't recommend even staying for a week uh not because of the yelling but because of the narcissetical stuff going on there
5: but there's a there's a sense in which when we get past our preferences god really moves in our lives now no, see again.
0: It has to be sound biblical doctrine. The the biblical gospel, God's word, rightly handled. Yeah, the Bible doesn't teach us to you know spit out the bones and and uh, keep the meat when it comes to false teachers. We're to avoid them altogether. The scriptures teach us. All right, well, I tell you what, we're going to take a break. We're going to take our second break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we will uh, listen to some of Stovall Weems's. Sermon? From the Code Orange revival last night. You're not gonna to want to miss this. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices visit pirate christian com forward slash cheap write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today again that's pirate christian com forward slash cheap okay we're back hour number two we're all well into it here at fighting for the faith it's sermon review time I gotta warn you ahead of time. We're not gonna do the whole sermon. It's you'll 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 get it when we get into it. If you want to see the whole thing, I'm sure it'll be available when the Code Orange Revival podcasts are sent out. But in the meantime, let's cue this up and do it right here. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Trust me, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Code Orange Revival. Um, uh, Stovall Weems presiding. Uh, Stovall Weems, by the way, is from Celebration Church in Jacksonville, Florida. The sermon he's about to preach, I think it's something about you know a lay hold of moment or something like that. Yeah, I'll let him explain. You might want to have your Bibles open to the story of Noah from uh, the book of Genesis. I think we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. Let me warn you ahead of time. What you're about to hear is a form of Bible twisting known as allegorizing. Now, it's possible to do some allegorization while you're preaching a biblical text. But it's dangerous stuff, because the the way the formula goes is something like this. When we find in the Old Testament, you know, we see uh, wood. (laughs) Anytime you see wood, that points us to the, it it, it symbolizes the cross. Anytime you see water, it always automatically symbolizes baptism. You see, the problem is, is that there's no, when it comes to these allegorical interpretations, you can mean, anything can mean anything. You know the feathers of the Holy Spirit could uh, represent uh, the 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 rooster crowing three times. Yes, it's, it's you know it's it's a really bad way of handling the text. Now understand this: that in the in the Old Testament there's types and shadows. So over and again you have the story of Jesus. They point us to Christ in the cross. And there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. And this isn't the way to do it. Just trust me. You'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. So, um, yeah, um, I'm so nervous about doing this because I just know we're going to hear a lot about Stovall. I just know it. So without any further ado, here's Stovall Williams and his sermon from the Code Orange Revival. Something about that lay hold of moment or something like that. Yeah, here we go. He looks like Pee Wee Herman. He's got his hair standing straight up, you know. Oh, man.
3: So, uh... I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. And, uh... You know, uh, we're in a we're in a fast back at Celebration Church, and uh, of course, with awakening all around the world. But uh, every night I've been piping in to Code Orange Revival, and it's like it's like uh, it, 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 it's just been amazing what God is is doing. You guys go ahead and be seated, but uh, I just want to. Just say how, ex- I, 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 I'm ecstatic to be here. I've just been just waiting every night just to get in here and get in God's presence and get with the people of Elevation Church. Stephen and I have been texting every single night, you know, before and after the services, and he's just filling me in on all that God's doing. And uh, it's such an honor to be here, uh, Pastor Stephen. And Holly, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Elevation Church, thank you so much uh, for having me. And I want to give a little bit of context, and I want to honor your pastor right now. But, you know, the Apostle Paul... Uh, In the book of Colossians, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, uh, he said, you know, we thank God for you and we pray for you. He was bragging on this church. He said, you guys, we thank God for you and we pray for you since the day that we heard about your faith.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I pray for Elevation Church, but at this point I'm not really thanking God for them because, uh, I, I'm convinced that they are, they've set up their own religion that competes with biblical Christianity from the Bible twi- twisting and narcigegetical, um, eiseges going on there, um, as a result of Pastor Furtick thinking the Bible's about him.
3: And your love because of the gospel, because of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know that there is a sound going around the world that's coming out of Elevation Church.
0: Yeah, there's a sound, all right. (laughs) I just don't think it's the sound
3: of the gospel. Um... It's... It's the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the. Yeah, s- no, no. There was
0: one night that we heard the gospel for sure. One night, clearly, we heard it. That was the night that Matt Chandler preached. Um, rest of the time, there's, it's kind of been a discordant. Uh, hodgepodge of really weird notes and stuff that doesn't even sound remotely like the gospel.
3: sound of God being glorified and people are hearing about it. They're hearing about your faith.
0: Yeah, because if you glorify God, then that, that's the current. He needs your glory so that then he'll turn around and bless your life because that's what it costs to uh, or, you know, to buy a miracle from God.
3: Faith. They're hearing about your, your love and we're all celebrating that around the world and so I want to I know that we've all been very, very honored, but I want to put some scriptural context around how important I think it is to honor the man and the woman of God and to honor the church. Can we please talk about
0: Jesus? I mean, seriously, what is it with you guys that every one of you false teachers gets up? The first thing you do is talk about how important it is to honor Stephen Furtick and Holly. Can we honor Jesus, please, by rightly handling his word and preaching him, please? I mean, serious. I mean, uh, uh, Stephen Furtick doesn't need his ego puffed up any more than it already is. I mean, I mean, at this point, there is a chance that his ego is going to literally explode and wipe out the first six
3: rows there at Elevation Church. Uh, for what God is doing in you and through you around the world. So, right now, would you put your hands together for your pastor, Pastor Stephen?
0: Oh, for heaven's right sakes! Now? They've been doing that every night.
3: Oh, yeah. Listen, you can you can be seated. It's uh, past, That's so hard to endure, and uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Frederick seems to live off of it. I'm sure it's not enduring it. He seems to be gobbling it up. It's his normal appetite, you know. That he what he feeds his appetite.
3: You know, it's it's very hard to endure, and so. Uh, but it's such a great honor to be here, man. Pumped up and excited uh, to be here. Yeah, we're gonna have a great night. We're gonna have a great night. I mean, what a, what a great uh, revival that it's already been. I, I feel like I'm the the least of the apostles or the least of the preachers. Uh, now, I wouldn't say
0: that, but I would say this: it's pro- you're probably not going to get a medal-winning performance here. You know, when I hand out the medals at the end of the con- at the end of the um, revival,
3: <clears throat> so to speak. <laughs> but uh, but I do believe that God wants to speak to us tonight, and I really feel like that he's going to kind of frame up not only where we are, but kind of where we're going in these last few nights of the revival and then uh, what he has for us in 2012, and so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and go to, in fact, why don't you just go to the book of Genesis, I'm going to read a few scriptures, go to Genesis Come on, I'll make it easy for you. If you're one of the people that just got saved and one of the hundreds that was baptized last night. I'm going to, how about that, huh? I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to be your favorite preacher because we're going right to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. You got it, man. Come on, open that thing with pride. Show I'm there. But I want to get to Genesis uh, chapter 8, verse 6 in just a second. I apologize, Genesis chapter 8, not chapter 6, but
0: chapter 8, okay, verse 6, okay.
3: But before I get there, I want to read out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, what the apostle Paul says, he said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So us all say that together. Say, lay hold. lay hold. He goes on to say, says, Brother, and I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. Everybody say, reaching forward. reaching forward. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes when we reach forward, it takes a stretch and sometimes when we press it takes effort. And then now go over to Genesis chapter 8 verse 6. And as you going wait, wait, wait,
0: a second. Genesis chapter 8 verse 6. Um uh, okay, what does this have to do with stretching and reaching and stuff like that? This is the story of the flood.
3: Going over there I want to read out of Romans 15:4 where the Bible says that
0: Yeah, but ripping a bunch of verses out of context here.
3: Come on, I know this church loves the word of God. Yeah. We're making it easy for all the hundreds that were baptized last night. (laughs) Whatever things that were written before were written for our learning that through patience and the comfort of scriptures we might have hope. So the Bible's telling us that everything that was written in the Old Testament is written for our learning. There is always a lesson. There is always an application. And we're going to see a great lesson on reaching forward right here in the book of Genesis as we take this snapshot of Noah's life. I'm going to read it in chapter 8, verse 6. Noah is in the flood. And it says, So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. How many of you know this was a good day for Noah? (laughs) Cooped up with all those animals, no AC, no ventilation, no nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? Those hippos being up in there, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Noah is like, we are opening the window. It's on. I mean, this was where code orange started in the life of Noah when he opened that window right there. It says, then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until
0: the water... Can I point out the fact he's just like eisegeting at this point, sticking stuff into the Noah story that isn't there? Can we just focus on what the passage says? Okay, so he sends out a raven. Got
3: it. Waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. I want to talk to you about moving forward in the purposes of God tonight, and I've entitled this message, The Lay Hold Moment. Uh, what on earth does the
0: Noah story about have to do with moving forward in the purposes of life? <clears throat> I'll let him preach for a little while. I I might end up teaching the Noah story here in a minute if this keeps getting as bad as I think it's going to get.
3: The lay hold moment. I believe that there are different times in the life of a believer where God gives us a lay hold moment. And if we... Respond. Uh,
0: can you point out from the Bible, using clear passages, where does it say that God uses layhold moments? I've never heard this doctrine before. This is something completely new and unique to you, Stovall.
3: To that correctly, He moves us forward in the purposes that He has for our lives. Everybody, including the online audience and all of our locations, join me in prayer right now. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for Your Word. And God, I pray that we would lay hold of what you're doing here at Elevation Church. God, that we would lay hold of you here at this Code Orange Revival, Jesus, for the glory of your name. I pray that you speak through me tonight. And God, that we meet with you. And that we could somehow at the next level apprehend that which we have been apprehended for. We give you all the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen and amen. You know, it's my first time speaking here, so just to tell you a little bit about myself, I did not grow up in a Christian home, and uh, because of that, real quickly, I got into a wildlife, crazy life, started doing a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, kind of that party life, and uh, and, and then I went to college, went to LSU. Don't hold that against. Don't hold that against me. I know where I am. Okay. Went to LSU, and uh, I made a couple of really good decisions though when I went to college. The first really good. Does anyone else find it just odd
0: that you know he reads this thing about some kind of a layhold moment that apparently is found in the Noah story, and no sooner is he done reading the text, praying that he's now talking about himself. Huh. Um, I'm hoping that the personal story will help us understand this biblical text, but we continue.
3: The decision I made was I chose to join the wildest fraternity on campus. Brilliant. Best is one of my best decisions. How many of you have ever seen that movie Animal House? Okay, look, I know I'm in a church. You don't. You, here's, here's how we do when we say, have you ever seen that movie Animal House? We'll do something like this. We'll say, well, you know, several years ago before I knew the Lord, I've... Okay, several years ago, before you knew the Lord, how many of you ever thought the movie Animal House? Okay, now raise your hand. All right, all right. Well, that was really the kind of fraternity that I joined. And so I joined that frater- fraternity, and it was, really, it was really bad. And we were all about drugging and partying and all that kind of stuff. But then I made another really good decision with my life. I chose to work at the wildest bar on the LSU campus. So, yeah, compounded my first good decision with another really good decision. And so I was working at that bar. I was a bouncer. What are you all laughing at? I mean, it makes sense now. Look at this wonderful physique. Listen, I might not look like it now, but let me tell you something, dog. Back in the day, I was all that in a bag of chips, all right?
0: Okay, yeah, great. Uh, Thanks for telling us this about yourself. Huh.
3: I know I'm sagging and flabbing now, but let me tell you, back in the day, I had it going on. And I had big goals. I had dreams. I had aspirations for my life. I wanted to go from being a bouncer to being a bartender. Yes. Yes. So back in the early 90s, remember that movie Cocktail, Tom Cruise, man, oh yeah, oh yeah. Man, serving up the drinks and the ladies, man, that, that was my dream. I'm so thankful God had another dream. For God had a dream for your life? Huh. My life. And to make a very long story short, right in the middle, all that craziness and all that party. And I had an aunt who was praying for me. And I bowed my knee and I gave my life to Jesus. And my life has never been the same. And here's here's what I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you parents. I want to encourage those of you who have loved ones that are out there acting crazy. No matter what it looks like on the outside, you know that God is doing a work on the inside. And you keep praying. Come on, and you don't give up hope. And you're going to see your family members and your friends come to Christ. Keep praying. And uh, so, man, I got saved. I, I found the God's grace, and it was just awesome, and I was saved. But it was kind of like... The, the first year or so of my walk with God, I was kind of back and forth, and it was yeah,
0: we're still hanging about Him.
3: Kind of like I'd, I'd get excited about God, but, but I couldn't really sustain it. I I didn't really find a good church, and so I was kind of back and forth. And I'll never forget it. I was still kind of hanging out with some of the wrong crowd, not doing anything crazy, but just couldn't get any real power or or sustainability in my life. The Bible was a little bit of a disconnect. I knew I was saved. I felt the peace of God, but I wasn't experiencing. What I read, and I'll never forget. One night, I was I was uh, coming out of this club with my friends. I wouldn't do anything crazy. I was just hanging out, and I was coming out. It was like God apprehended me. It...
0: God, what? He apprehended. Hang on a second here. I'm going to go find an online dictionary because I'm I'm just not sure how he's using the word apprehended in this sentence. Apprehended. Hang on a second here. I mean. You know, I, when I think of apprehended, I think of somebody being arrested. Um, <laughs> okay, apprehend to arrest someone for a crime. So God arrested you. Okay, or did he understand or perceive? Those are your two definitions. He arrested you or he or he understood you. Yeah, I'm just not sure what that, how he's using that in the sentence. Hang on a second here.
3: Hello, one night i was i was uh, coming out of this club with my friends i wouldn't do anything crazy i was just hanging out and i was coming out it was like god apprehended me
0: okay so he arrested you
3: it was like the whole every it was all people all around it was like everything went black and it was god and he apprehended me and he spoke to my heart and he said stovall don't ever go back in there again direct revelation okay now, he didn't mean don't ever go in a restaurant bar or anything like that. What I took that to mean was what he was telling me was D- this lifestyle that you've been living, this group of friends that you're connecting with, you're going to have to let go of that. And you're going to. You know, funny enough, there's
0: like biblical passages that we could go to that talk about how um, we're not to really, um, as Christians. You know, engage in the th- same things that the world is doing. I mean, if they're get enge- if they're involved in sin and stuff like that, we can't hang with them and do the same thing. So I would point to biblical passages that teach the same concept. What's the point of telling me that you God talked right into your heart? Oh maybe that's to create the impression that you're the man of God
3: you're gonna have to lay hold of me <clears throat> and so and so right there in that moment, in my heart, I said, yes, God, I'm going after you, all after you. I'm laying hold of you. I'm leaving this.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a confusion of law and gospel to me.
3: Behind, and I'm saying yes to you. And it was at that moment, that was the catalyst that really propelled me forward in my relationship with God and experience, experience in his presence. And then since then, I've had many more Lay hold moments, so to speak
0: mm, you 've had many more lay hold moments, did God speak directly to your heart in those other lay hold moments too
3: and you know, 're true interesting this is a there 's a great lesson that we can learn from this in the we can there 's a
0: lesson we can learn from your lay hold moment, oh please tell me we 're going back to Noah. Hang on a second here
3: and you know, 're true interesting this is a there 's a great lesson that we can learn from this. In the life of Noah, here we have Okay, Noah.
0: good. We're going back to Noah.
3: Noah, okay. Noah was saved. He was saved by grace. The Bible says that this,
0: Noah... This is true, by the way. Noah is saved by grace, not by works. No one in the Bible is saved by works.
3: Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad that when you look into the eyes of the Lord, you don't find judgment? You don't find condemnation? Come on, when you look into the eyes of the Lord, you only find grace!
0: Okay, all right, sure. I um, never looked into the eyes of the Lord. But okay, yeah, I agree that um, he died for my sins, and I see Christ is loving towards me as a result of what he's done for me on the cross. Kind of a weird phrase, though. Look into the eye. And no Maybe is being poetic, you know?
3: No found that grace. And he was excited and he was saved and God had spared him from judgment. Of course, the ark represents salvation. And man, Noah's all excited. And we need to remember the context of the story. A lot of times we think about, you know, the 40 days that it rained. But from the time that Noah stepped on the boat until the time he steps off the boat, he was on that thing for 377 days. That is one long nightmare cruise those animals, man. <laughs> 377 days, and so here he's been out. You know what's weird, though?
0: I, there's not a single passage that you can point to where it says that Noah complained about anything when he was on the ark. It's not like he was saying, God, get me out of here. It was, it's not like that. Uh, not
3: on the ark. He's in the grace of God. He, he's been saved, and, and now the rain stopped, and now Noah is ready for his life to move forward. Yes,
0: what? Noah's ready for his life to move forward? Is he ready to go back to the office? Go back to work? I mean <laughs> Oh man. That's I we're now we're engaging in eisegesis, and it's we're gonna be doing allegorical eisegesis here in a second.
3: He's raised like God, I'm you know, I'm sure, Lord, I'm so thankful that I didn't drown like everybody else. I'm thankful for for my salvation, but now he's he's opening the window. Okay, the rain has stopped. God, what else do you have for me? I'm ready to move forward in your purposes. Yeah, and you will look hard in
0: the Noah text to find anything about Noah saying, okay, God, I'm ready to move forward in your purposes. The text doesn't say it or imply it. I mean, you're just adding it in there as if somehow what you're saying is true, but just because you say it's in there doesn't mean it's in there.
3: So it's real interesting what Noah does. He takes out two birds. And the first bird that he takes out is a raven. He takes out a raven. And the Bible says that the raven goes out there to and fro, flying around all crazy, never comes back to Noah. In fact, it's the exact same language. It says he threw the raven out. The raven went to and fro over the earth. It's the exact same language used in the book of Job when Satan presents himself before God. Oh, no. (laughs) No. Oh, boy. And God says, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been going to and fro. It's a
0: satanic raven. Quoth the raven, nevermore.
1: how distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my book cease of Sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore.
0: Maybe this is the Edgar Allan Poe um, interpretation regarding the raven from the um, book of, well, book of Genesis story regarding Noah and the flood.
3: Over the earth. You see, the raven represents our flesh. Uh, Really? Um, What if it doesn't represent anything? It represents us trying to get satisfaction. Out of things
0: uh, how do you know it doesn't represent you know like Kermit the Frog or Miss Piggy or something
3: you know that we know are not God? The raven represents those things that we're trusting in to move our lives forward, but do not line up with God
1: uh huh. Yeah, okay, a little more of this. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more.
0: Yeah, okay. That's Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, read by Christopher Walken. Um,
3: Or his word. Let me tell you something. Every time you deal with those ravens, they'll always go to and fro. They're unreliable. They will never take you where you need to go.
0: Yeah, never more, man. I'll never trust in those ravens again. Never more.
3: So... So the second thing Noah does is he sends out a dove. Yeah. And so we know that the dove represents who? The Holy Spirit. The dove throughout the scripture scriptures represent the Holy Spirit. So he sends out the dove, and here comes the dove. The dove comes flying back, and Noah's like, all right, man, I can work with this dove.
0: Really? Where in the biblical text again does it say that Noah can work with the dove? And he was all excited. Oh, yeah, I can work with this. I can...
3: This dove can help me here. But it's real interesting what happens, and the Bible is very specific about how this happens. The dove comes back to the ark, but it's like the dove can't find a place to land. In other words, the dove was not going to force herself.
0: (laughs) Really? Okay. So the dove's not going to force herself, because, you know, the Holy Spirit would never force um, himself. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man, this is bad.
3: On Noah.
0: Yeah, the devil would never force himself on Noah. Yeah, can't do that. No.
3: And Noah was going to have to, you know, get out of that window some. The Bible says that the first thing that he does is he gets out there and he stretches. What did did the apostle Paul say? I, I, I reach forward.
0: Um, I don't think the Apostle Paul's anything. <laughs> yeah, that's not a cross reference to the Noah story. Holy smokes, this is bad. He did where, Stovall. Did you go to seminary? I'm just curious. Did you, If I asked you to provide proof that you passed a class in biblical hermeneutics, would you be able to provide that evidence? Because I'm beginning to think. You you ain't never been to seminary before, and you've never actually taken, you know, hermeneutics 101, you know?
3: He stretches out, and he lifts his hands, and it, he creates a space for the dove to land. What? What?
0: <laughs> this is, this, oh, man, this is really bad. <laughs> this is the most absurd handling of this text I've ever heard in my life.
3: You're not doing stand-up comedy, are you? This is a joke, right? See, the first step, if you want to move forward in the purposes of God, you've got to create some space for God. you got to get... <laughs> Really? Okay, got to create. <laughs> oh, this
5: is bad.
3: Be proactive. You've got to create some space for God. Why? <laughs> really? Uh huh. Because God does not force Himself on us. God is a filler, not a forcer. Oh,
0: you're getting this out of the Noah story. Wow. What translation are you reading from again? Um. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I'm convinced he's reading between the lines here. There's something going on. Maybe he has he has like a special, you know, ability to see things in the text that aren't there.
3: I've heard your pastor say this many times. We've got to create some space for God to fill. God will not force Himself on you. Yeah, well, the the,
0: the create the space there is they need your seats, so you need to leave elevation so they have lots of seating.
3: That's why in the beginning when God created the world, the world was what? It was without form and void. He needed an empty space so he could create the world. All things...
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man.
3: This is so bad. Whoo! I... <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna make it. Through the Old Testament, if you look, the altars, the tabernacle, all those different types of things, it's all about creating space for God.
0: Because he would he's a he's a he's not a forester, he's a yeah, I don't know, whatever.
3: You know what was the greatest space that was ever created? The cross. Oh, I'm glad you're preaching about the cross, but
0: what does the cross have to do with making space? Can you quote one of the apostles that says this? Unbelievable.
3: We, you look at that cross, that was the space created for the Son of God. <laughs> oh,
0: this is so
3: bad. To feel, to die, so he could redeem all mankind. Can you think? Yeah, I agree. Christ redeems
0: all of mankind by his blood on the cross but nowhere in the biblical text does it say anything about God creating space so that Jesus can fill it or anything of the sort. Oh, man.
3: Thank Jesus. He was the only one that could fill that space.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: He was the only one that could die for mankind.
0: Yeah, Jesus the space filler.
3: you, God. We thank you, Jesus, for filling that space.
0: Oh, man. What do you do with this? Wow.
3: That's why, and that's why now, what does the Bible say? As New Testament believers, we're not forced with the Holy Spirit, but we're what? We're filled with the Holy Spirit.
0: Really? (laughs) be filled not forced with the holy spirit the text doesn't say that (laughs) oh man Oh boy, zeal without knowledge is like uh, a sword in the hand of a lunatic. I think Calvin said something like that.
3: So here's what you see. That's why in, in Matthew chapter six, in the context of seek first the kingdom of God and and all and His righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. When it talks about seek first, it's talking about first, you got to seek. You got to create the space for God first.
0: Oh, <laughs> do I need to debunk this for any of you? I mean, really, (laughs) he's seeing things that ain't there in the text. You might want to get your uh, prescription checked on your glasses, Stovall. Um,
3: Too many of us spend all of our energy trying to figure things out, trying to work solutions, trying to get out of problems, trying to fix messes. Listen, you aren't smart enough or powerful enough to fix all your messes.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what that has to do with the Noah story. Um...
3: What so God's saying, all God needs from us is this, He just needs you to create some space. You know,
0: I'm glad, you know. Hey, God, you know, I got some, you know, I, I cleaned out a spare, you know, um, cupboard in yeah, out of my workshop. You know, is, is that enough space for you? I mean, because Stovall said, I just need to make some space for you.
3: Just let Him come in, He's got the power, He's the healer. So, in Matthew 6, Jesus gives these space makers, that's why He says, When you pray.
0: <laughs> i thought a space maker was one of those you know uh, coffee makers that you hang underneath your cabinets uh,
3: when you give when you fast when you serve
0: yeah those are all space makers because you know that way you can be filled with the holy spirit not forced with it when you stand out in line for six this is not a coherent biblical teaching at all Wow uh, again more evidence that uh, we may need to have these secret driven guys uh, have mandatory uh, drug screening you know at random you know r- mandatory random drug screenings check to make sure they're not a, you know uh influenced by any illegal substances because apparently here coherent thought is just gone
3: it's hours to get in the building win. When- when you come to the house of God, when you come to about listen, you didn't waste one second standing out there in line because every second that you give to God, you're creating space.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think by shouting it, it actually makes people think that that's what the Bible really says, but you will search long and hard for any space maker passages <laughs> in the Bible. Wow. <laughs>
3: So pastor, I need, I need God to move in my marriage. What have you created the space?
0: Yeah. Again, how much space does he need? Um, you know, I mean, do I just, does, does the Holy spirit just need a landing pad on my desk? Um, do, You know, do I need to stick my arm out? You know, how much space does the Holy Spirit need so that, you know, I, so I can create the space for him to come flying and land so that he doesn't force himself on me, but I can be filled with him, you know, um,
3: for God in your marriage, stop, tra- look, just create space for God. Trust in him with all your heart.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure.
3: Just create space for God.
0: Yeah. God. It's, sounds really simple. Can you... Draw me a picture of what that looks like.
3: Pastor, I need God to to bless my finances. Have you created the space?
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, so I need God to bless my finances. You need to create the space. How much do you want to bet that the next words out of his mouth have something to do with bringing the tithe?
3: in your finances that's what the tithe is all about
0: uh-huh <laughs> yeah the, these seeker driven mer- megachurch guys are all the same false doctrine regarding tithing
3: imagine your your financial portfolio here's let's say this is a hundred percent when you take that 10 percent out yeah you make space <gasps> wow you create a 10% hole. You create a, an empty space so God can come in and fill. And whatever God... Oh, man,
0: this is horrible. Feels, he the Bible doesn't teach any of this.
3: He multiplies. Whatever God fills, he blesses.
0: Yeah, shout louder. It'll make everyone believe that you're really teaching the Bible because that's how you can tell.
3: When you create space for God, you take your want and you make it away. (laughs) What does that sentence mean? Hang on. Backing up. (laughs) See, when you create space for God, you take your want and you make it away.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The, the the doctrine of the spacemaker, uh huh, spacey, all right.
3: I want God to bless my marriage, create some space. Take your yeah. Care.
0: I want God to do this, so all you got to do is make some space. That, apparently God, you know, he can't do anything until you do that. You've got to fulfill your end of the bargain because God, you know, everything's you got to pay for. You got to pay for it with something. You know, you got to buy your miracles.
3: I want and make it a way. Give God a way, a space that He can come in and fill. Create some space. Take your want and make it a way, a landing place for God. And here's what, <laughs> what that does. When you create space for God, see, God loves you, He's always for you. God loves you. But yeah, when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You create space for God, what happens is it gives you the spiritual confidence. That you need when you're praying for this situation, when you're praying for you, you've created the space. You know where the space is. Uh-huh. So you have the confidence to do Hebrews 4 and 16. To you
0: want me to do Hebrews 4 and 16? Huh.
3: Come before the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence.
0: Yeah, because I was the space maker. Yeah.
3: So that you can get help. In time of need.
0: Yeah, because if you you don't make the space, you won't get the help that you need when you need it.
3: Man, that's what we need more of in the church. Man, we need the church to rise up with boldness and confidence. Stop all these little sissy. I mean, right, is, is that what our prayers are? Now? God is great. God is good. They...
0: Yeah, I like praying the Lord's Prayer. Would you call that a sissy prayer? You know, that's the one that Jesus taught his disciples to pray.
3: Is that all we? Is that what we pray for? Now we took our kids in. Oh, the Lord bless you and make you happy tomorrow at school. Uh. No, when you create space, you have boldness to come before God. Say- yeah, yeah, where again is this space maker
0: doctrine taught clearly? Um, can you po- show me where the church fathers, you know, the early Christian church, um, believed in the space maker doctrine? Um, can you can you point me to anybody from like you know, let's say Jesus forward. You know, Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, um, Jude, um, the Apostle John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, maybe even, how how about, you know, it's not in the Bible, how about Clement of Rome, Um, Athanasius of Alexandria, how about him, Uh, how about uh, Augustine of Hippo, Um, uh, 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 Bernard of Clairvaux, how about him, Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to think of some more, you know, church fathery types. Uh, Irenaeus, um, Ignatius. Um, how about Luther or Calvin? Uh, any of those guys? Uh, Wesley? Did he teach the space maker doctrine? Can you point me to anybody else in all of church history that believed in the space maker doctrine?
3: My God, my kids are going to be world changers.
0: I don't. Yeah, they're they're going to be world changers because you made a space, you know, for the Holy Spirit to land on, you know. Does it need to be as big as a helipad? You know, you you, know, you put a big... Rather than, you know, you know, those helicopter pads, they have a big H, you know, right in the middle of it. Do you put a big HS for the Holy Spirit so that he can land
3: there? going to be world changers! Got... And you know what? I don't care if you're acting crazy right now!
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. What exactly are they hooping and hollering about, the Spacemaker Doctrine again? Quote the Raven, "Nevermore."
3: Because I've created the space for you and my family, and you're going to come in and fill that!
0: Yay. Congratulations, you've created the space necessary for the Holy Spirit to come land in your family.
3: Uh-huh. Right now, because I have been tithing and I've been giving, and if I'm bankrupt right now, it's just that you want me out of this job and into another one. You have the confidence. It's that boldness. It's it's that God swagger, not man swagger.
0: More God-swagger stuff. Can you point me to a passage that talks about God-swagger?
3: Hebrews 4... Is
0: that like Braun-swagger? You know?
3: 16 confidence! It's boldness! It's God. I'm not confident in me! I'm confident in Him.
0: Yeah, because you made a space for him. I don't get it.
3: I'm getting fired up, man!
0: <laughs> yeah, apparently when you get fired up, you don't make any sense.
3: Creating the space. Yeah, time left y'all
0: that's okay there's plenty of time for you to talk about yourself
3: (laughs) it gives you the confidence
0: yeah that's space making stuff yeah
3: you know i'll never forget one time carrie and i uh
0: Uh switching to a story about himself
3: we're down in the Amazon jungle, and I used to lead.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause. I, well, actually, I'll let him just keep talking. Um, we'll, we'll check in with him in a minute. But if you have your Bible, let's take a look at uh, the Noah story from Genesis. And uh, you know, I mean, this is really, really, er, really early in the, um, in the biblical story here. So, you know, bringing you up to speed. Um, God creates the heaven and the earth. He creates man and he creates eve uh, by uh, taking a rib from adam's side and uh, and they're in the garden they've been told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil satan tempts them they listen to the devil and uh, they sin against god they they disobey his commandment man is plunged into sin you got cain and abel the first two you know first two sons of adam and eve and uh, you know cain kills abel uh, i mean this I mean murder and it just gets right off the bat things go really haywire go really bad and all because of wickedness and so we're going to start at Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 let's let's read the Noah story and see if we can figure out what's really going on here see if there's anything about god swagger or making space or anything like that let's see what's going on here so the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the way, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, uh, right? this teaches t- the, the doctrine of total depravity or the doctrine of original sin, that, that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And here God, in his word, in Genesis, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, reveals to us what our problem is, that all of us are wicked and evil, and that this wickedness, and evilness comes out of our very heart, okay? The intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually or all the time. So the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Doesn't say that he found favor by his obedience. Again, everybody who is saved is saved by grace through faith. So, how was Noah then saved? Answer, he's saved by trusting in the promise that the Lord made to Adam and Eve in the garden that he would send an offspring, a seed of Eve, who would crush the head of the serpent and who in the process would be would be wounded as a result of uh, his tussle with the serpent, so to speak, and that you know, and that you know and so, Abraham, Noah trusts this promise. The promise is there, right there in Genesis, and and so he's trusting in this, and he, like everybody who's saved, is saved by grace through faith by trusting in the promises of God. He trusts in uh, the promise of the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Right now, um, so these are the generations of Noah. What Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Again, another reiteration of the doctrine of total depravity. Um, God said to Noah, "'I have determined to make an end of all flesh. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them on the earth.'" Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it in the inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. It's uh, The length of the ark is 300 cubits. It's breadth 50 cubits. It's height uh, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it uh, with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die but i will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark you and your sons your wife and your sons wives with you and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark keep them alive with you they shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds of every creeping things of the ground according to its kind two of every sort to come in to you to keep them alive also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up and it shall serve as food for you and for them noah did this he did all that god had commanded him hang on a second let's check back with stovall and see how the sermon's progressing
3: uh man i I did it all man i battled the witch doctors Uh and swam with the piranhas and fought through the vampire bats and i wrestled super well okay
0: Okay, yeah sorry yeah he's still preaching about himself let's get back to the bible teaching For then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of clean animals, male and mate, and a pair of of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate. seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive in the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of the clean animals and of the animals that are not clean, and of the birds and everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two male went into the ark with Noah, and God commanded Noah, and after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth." Okay, I'm gonna pause there. Let's check in with Stovall. See if he's done talking about himself. Hang on a second here.
3: Was on an airplane. I mean, it was terrifying, and it was terrifying because you you couldn't see the plate. We didn't know if there was a place to land. Down yeah, there.
0: no, he's still talking about himself. Let's let me come back to you know Genesis here. So yeah, we'll get to we'll get to Stovall when he's done talking about himself. All right, Genesis chapter seven. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. The windows of the heavens were opened. the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And the very same day, Noah and his wife Shem and Ham and Japheth and, the, and Noah's wife, and the three sons of his and his sons, with whom uh, with them entered the ark. And they and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird and according to its kind, every winged creature, they all went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female, all of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased, and bore up the ark, and rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. Now I'm going to pause here for a second. I want to point a few things out. Number one, okay, remember, Colossians tells us that the Old Testament stories are types and shadows that point us to Christ. This is what this is what the New Testament teaches us, okay? Now, this is a historical account. This is not a mythological story. This is a historical account. This really took place. How do I know this? Cuz Jesus said so, okay? Jesus totally believed that Noah was a, a historic figure. And that the flood really truly happened. And if you got a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. And you better have better credentials than he has. And the reason I say that is because, well, Jesus is God in human flesh. And he proved this by raising himself from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So here we have a historical event that does more than just give us a shadow of what God's wrath and judgment looks like. I mean, this is the real deal. Okay, so what we're seeing here in the Old Testament is uh, the, uh, exactly what the wrath and punishment of God, a global wrath and punishment of God, looks like. Okay, and that is, is that those who persist in their wickedness will be wiped off the face of the earth. Because here's the deal. This is just the pre-show. This shows us what's coming in the future. Christ himself is going to return someday and the apostle Peter makes it clear that the next time God cleanses the earth he's not going to do it with water he's going to do it with fire okay this is a this is not just a picture of God's wrath this is a historical example of it this isn't some just mere shadow of God's wrath this is what the real deal looks like how many were saved and see this is this, this is the thing here salvation is in here right noah and his family were saved from the wrath of god god put them into the ark now you can say that the ark is in a sense is is a is a type is a type of the cross or the type of christ himself one of the church fathers in describing the ark pointed out the fact that it's made of wood, and it had a door on its side. And so he allegorized it and basically said this. Listen, just like Noah and his family were saved by the wood of the ark, in the same sense, we're saved by the wood of the cross. Okay? Now, understand, that's allegory, but it's a good touch point. It's not like saying that the wood is... The wood, equals this represented it's a way of preaching the text that preaches christ okay so this is a picture of judgment and salvation this is a picture of god's wrath as well as his grace both and it's all in a historical account so whether or not you want to bring the wood element into it it doesn't really really matter because here's the deal christ himself well not christ himself but the apostles themselves teach us that we need to be in christ if we're to be saved how are we in christ we're saved by grace through faith through the preaching of the of the gospel and through the preaching of the gospel god raises us from the dead gives us faith and repentance so we trust in him and then the, you look at the you look at um romans chapter 6 and, and i know that you're not, if you're not familiar with what the bible teaches regarding baptism this might kind of freak you out but uh let me let me get over to romans chapter 6 real quick here Um, Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Well, by no means. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with, uh, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, you know, here here's the deal. A lot of people look at just the outward signs of baptism. That would be water. And and as if that's the, really the important thing. Well, that's not really the important thing. The important thing is what God is doing in baptism. And it's the thing you can't see. And so you have to be told and it has to be revealed by God. And it's done so in his word. And we find that in our baptisms, we are buried with Christ. We are put into Christ. Okay. So now you start to see the picture you know that's developing here and this is a picture of God's wrath and salvation in uh, in Genesis chapter 6, 7 and eight. and this picture from a historical account shows us what God's wrath looks like and it shows us that salvation occurs when God gives you faith and trust and he puts you into the ark, right? Adam, uh, Noah and his family were put into the ark, God shut the door, were put into Christ. So the only way to survive the coming wrath of God, you see, there was a time when Noah was building the ark and the flood hadn't come, Okay, but God had said that his wrath is coming. In the same way, we look into the scriptures and we know that the wrath of God is coming against our sin. Humanity has a date with destiny the same way that humanity had a date with destiny at the time of the flood. And that destiny is God saying, enough is enough. I'm done with this wickedness. And so we're not we're not looking for arcs, so to speak. You know, don't, you know, there's nothing. You know, we're not. God isn't saying going out and grab asbestos and you know and put it on yourself so that you can survive the coming flames. That's not what he's. That's not what we do in this case. You want to be saved. Plain and simple, you need to be in Christ. You need to trust in Him. For the forgiveness of your sins, you need to repent of your wickedness and trust and have faith in Christ for the promised forgiveness of sins won by him on the cross. So the idea here is, is that in this historical account that is for as legitimate as any historical account that of in even recent memory, it's as historical as World War I or World War II or as the Civil War in the United States or the War of Roses centuries ago in Great Britain. It's as, you know, you get what I'm talking about here. And so this is a legitimate, for real, historical event that doesn't give us a shadow of what God's wrath looks like. It shows us for real what God's wrath looks like. This is what really happened. And salvation is a gift from God when God puts you into his ark and his ark for us. The only ark we have is Christ. Plain and simple, and I think it's beautiful that even one of the church fathers pointed out that the ark had the door on the side, and Jesus had the, the you know the spear wound in his side. So the idea is that you want to t- you take these stories that tell us about Jesus, because Jesus himself said the Old Testament's about him, and we're looking for what where do we find Jesus in the story? Plain and simple, It's a story of salvation by grace through faith, right? So you can see what's going on here. It's not just it's not just a symbol thing going on here. Now, here's the deal. When you, when you do this with the biblical text, you know, you see it as a shadow. You see it as a type that points us to Christ. You can't really get the whole one to one. This equals that. This equals that. This equals that. You want, you, you really want to get rough cut. Then let the details rest in the historical account of Christ and where we are right now. Because here's the deal. You're not going to be saved from the coming wrath of God by building an ark the way Noah did. Right. The only way you're going to be saved from the forthcoming wrath of God is by being in Christ. That's where our salvation is, and that's where we need to point people to. So the the, the flood story shows us God's wrath as it really took place, and that God means business. And when he says he's going to wipe out the whole earth, he means it. He's really going to do it, and that's what's coming. The only hope we have is to be in Christ, and this is what the New Testament teaches us. So. Back to uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. So the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased, bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all of mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for one hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made the wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed and the rain from the heavens were restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. And the end of one hundred and fifty days, the waters had abated. In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the tenth month, and the tenth month of the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Now, it's important to note that when you look at the hermeneutical tradition of how this is, this text has been preached in the history of the church, Many folks have pointed out the fact that when the 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 dove is hovering over the waters, okay, that this in some way is 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 um, a picture parallel going back to the beginning of Genesis, where it talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters of creation, brooding over the waters of of creation, right? Okay, so we're seeing a picture here again of God recreating the earth, which He's going to really do. Again, new heavens, new earth. So this this kind of there's a touch point here, but you don't want to push the example too hard. You just want to say it's interesting that this similar imagery is used. Okay, the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her in and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked. Of leaf, so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth, and then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. Hang on a second here; I need to check back in with Stovall and see if he's still preaching about himself. Hold on.
3: It's it's a lay hold moment. See, first we create the space, and God brings His presence. But then, when He brings His presence, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: he's getting he's I think he's wound up talking about himself. We'll we'll tune into him in a second here. Anyway, the point is the point here being. Then the wait, they wait another seven days. Sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred and first year, the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off of the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark, and look and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And the second month, on the twenty seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, "Go out from the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your wives with you." bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all flesh, birds and animals, creeping things that creeps on the earth, and that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons with his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Okay, now, I'm going to have to stop right there. Okay, so in the ark story, we have a story of God's wrath, and judgment. We have, a, we have a story about faith, the forgiveness of sins. We also have the story of salvation and the creation of a new earth. Okay, Now, all of these are pointing us to the ultimate reality that is coming. Because in the New Testament, we know that the coming wrath of God is soon to be revealed. That salvation is only in Jesus Christ. Okay, And so this is important stuff. And that at the end of this, when God's wrath is ultimately poured out and the elements melt, then what's going to happen is is God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. So this picture here, this story, this event, even though it is a legitimate for real historical story, it typologically is a compressed example historically of God's wrath, salvation, and the creation of a new earth that's what's going on here in this story and to push it and start you know to, this means this and this means that and this you 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 over you, you overcook the uh, the the allegory here and you miss the whole point this is a story about wrath salvation and the creations of, an, of the creation of a new earth it's a story of our salvation that we're looking forward to at the consummation of time, when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. So to preach the Noah story is to preach Christ, because this, this story points us to the big story, the really important one, the reality. This is a shadow, the, the reality's coming. But for Noah, this was no shadow. This was the This was a real deal for him. And his story points us to Christ and our salvation in Christ. Okay? All right, let's check back in with Stovall Weems and see where he's going to go with this now.
3: Talking about the, the Code Orange revival even going to another level. Listen, just because the speakers stop after 12 nights, that doesn't mean the revival has to stop after 12 nights. I'm telling you, we're just getting started. I'm saying we're just getting started.
0: Apparently preaching about the Code Orange revival...
3: Let me tell you, let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you, I've been praying about it. Let me tell you what I believe God's doing. You know what coat orange was these 12 nights? We just created a space for God to fill.
0: Uh, Man, we left him, and this is what he did with him. So there you go, coat orange revival has created a space. This is a spacey sermon, wow.
3: But you, you know what God's real purpose is? No. We've created the space. His presence has come. And now we're going to lay hold.
0: hmm Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's rightly handling that Noah text. What do you think? Yeah. In fact, it sounds like missed the whole point.
3: And Code Orange is going to go all year. Speakers every night it's gonna go around the world listen to me listen this is a global church there's a destiny on this church
4: and I- oh no
3: and I believe that code art we have created yeah
0: here we go again he took the Noah text and somehow turned it into something about elevation Because everybody knows according you know Christine Kane elevation well it's the new temple of Solomon you know it's yeah I can't handle it anymore sorry I've gotta just check out. I'm done. (sighs) Yeah, uh, I like the Noah story telling me about Jesus and salvation and and the new earth that God's going to create. Oh man, talk about hope and real glory. And I don't need Elevation Church to tell me that. I just need to understand God's word and how it properly is understood to show me that. All right. Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And yeah, just a reminder, this is Listener Supported Radio. If you don't already support us, visit our website and you know and help us out. You can do that by visiting fightingforthefaith.com, click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and um and help keep us on the air so we can keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, so what'd you think? You know, I'd love to get your feedback. Um you can email me. My uh <laughs> email address. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash christian. or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins to save you from the coming wrath of God that will destroy the entire earth and then God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be amazing. you going to be there? Amen.